Cliff says what's on his mind. Unfiltered analysis and commentary. My hands were steady. My eyes were clear and bright. My walk had purpose. My steps were quick and light. And I held firm to what I felt was right. Like a rock. Well, the West Indies is showing sign, or they are showing signs of a greater level of discipline and commitment, yes, than previous teams of recent vintage. Needing 200 to win, and with the English bowlers having their tails up, Reducing West Indies to 27 for 3, chasing 200. For many of us, we thought, here we go again. We're going to just disintegrate and collapse like a a pack of you-know-what. But no, they fought. They dug their heels in and they played like they were possessed. We're going to have more on that later when... Our sportscaster, Wayne Walker, will join me to have a look at what we saw at the Rose Bowl yesterday and over the previous four days when Jason Holder and his men, yes, made Caribbean people proud. But the big raging issue on the weekend, yes, politics and that complex man, political leader, international statesman and an intellectual, Michael Norman Manley. He was more than just a party leader. He was a thinker Michael Manley was the kind of figure you either love or hate. And there are a lot of people on either side of the Michael Manley legacy. For one thing, without doubt, he was rather complex. I think I've said before that I entered high school in 1974, a pivotal year in the premiership of Michael Manley. That was the year he reaffirmed that the People's National Party was a socialist a democratic socialist party in the tradition of the British Labour Party, social democratic political movements, not to the far radical left, but certainly left of centre. Michael had come to power in 1972 as a moderate reformist. I remember 
seeing an interview with Tony Verity and Michael Manley shortly after he won in February 1972. And the interviewer was trying to attach to him a label, a political label, and he rejected that, saying he didn't want to be labeled a socialist or any other kind of ism. But two years later, in 74, he moved to the left in a decisive way with the Declaration of Democratic Socialism. But most importantly, the previous year, 1973, 1973, Jamaica and much of the non-oil-producing countries of the developing world were shocked by the massive increases in the price of oil. We, totally dependent on the fossil fuel, our economy took a massive blow. Our import bill more than doubled in months, in a matter of months. And thereafter, Michael had to rethink what was going to be the strategy going forward. In addition, after he assumed the leadership of the People's National Party in 1969, succeeding his father, the late Norman Manley, and defeating Vivian Blake for the leadership of the PNP in 1969. Michael Manley went on an island-wide tour of Jamaica. And in that tour, I am told by people who ought to know, because they were with him, he was visibly, emotionally, intellectually moved by the level of poverty in the country, how people were living destitute across the country. And it is felt that that tour, combined with the oil shock of 73, and his own sense of mission, that he had to do something, he had to respond to the hopes and aspirations of the Jamaican people who had so endorsed him in February 72. He set out on this mission to achieve, to realize social justice for the mass of the people. Yes? Well-intentioned. Well-intentioned. But as things turned out, he proceeded on a very, at the time, ambitious social legislation agenda. Because despite the economic boom that Jamaica experienced between the second half of the 1950s up to the turn of the 1970s, with the massive investments in bauxite and agriculture, light industrial activities, 
the figures will show that inequality was as rampant as they ever were and still are. Two, people, black people in the country, black Jamaicans, were still largely kept out from certain institutions, such as the banks. You wouldn't find black tellers in the banks. They were largely kept out from owning businesses, access to capital. Yeah? Class, race, prejudice, color were very rampant. Manly, as an intellectual, was very seized by these issues. In addition, he had a sense of mission as a political leader, which, by the way, is very absent today. Very absent. So that was the context that Michael Manley started his push towards democratic socialism in 1974. The social problems in the country, yeah? The economic problems brought on by the oil shock of 73. His own sense of what was his mission as prime minister. That's where it all started. And I begin there because I see a lot of the commentary not taking into consideration the context. All of us, in our own private capacities or public capacities, are shaped by the times, the values, the culture, the mores of our existence the vocations we are in, whether it's politics or religion or medicine, social work. We are social beings. And Manly was no different. No different. He was a product of his environment. However, having said that, he had on his shoulders as a man on the bridge in the early 1970s, the burdens of leadership. Leadership. It was his choice. He could have opted to go to the right. He decided to go to the left. And for that, he must be assessed. He must be assessed. He made those decisions. But in making our conclusions about Michael Manley, we must also take into consideration, as I said, he was a complex man, complex political leader. No debate or argument can be binary that he's either good or bad. He was far more than that. He couldn't be really pigeonholed. The track record and the economic 
side of the balance sheet was abysmal. The Jamaican economy declined massively under his watch. Unemployment rose massively under his watch. Jamaica receded in terms of its economic progress and development under his watch between 1972 and 1980. The formation of capital and the flight of capital declined under his watch. Hmm? The coming together, the building of social capital receded under his watch. On the positive side of the balance sheet, ordinary Jamaicans, 10 years after independence, became somebody in their own country. Nettleford, Rex, the late UWI professor, coined the term the smaditization of Jamaicans. That period paved the way for people like me today to have a place speaking to you from the privilege of around the microphone. We became somebody in our own country. The boy who didn't have a father around a mother who was employed on Manly's impact program called Crash Program. I would collect the $25 a week and have to make the decisions how it is going to be spent because I was considered smart. It was because of his social reform programs why I could make it to high school, to Excelsior, and get an education. Manly's program of eliminating tuition free, right up to fee, right up to university, made that possible. But 20, 30 years later, could I truthfully say that he was all good for Jamaica? No. No. He was not, if you're going to be truthful. So after the break, we pick it up. My hands were steady. My eyes were clear and bright. My walk had purpose. My steps were clear. Cliff Hughes Online. Talk radio for all Jamaicans. My hands were steady. My eyes were clear and bright. My walk had purpose. My steps were quick and light. So, having given you that context, now to the issue at hand about the Prime Minister dissing Michael. The Prime Minister did no such thing. He did no such thing. The Prime Minister, in that speech last week, warned of a fourth industrial revolution 
that Jamaica cannot afford to miss out on if it is to secure what Manly Michael wanted, Pattison wanted, Siaga wanted, Bustamante wanted, Shera wanted, Porsche wanted, Golding wanted this country's economic independence. They all so now there's a fourth industrial revolution taking place in the world. New products and new technology defined as artificial intelligence and cyber-physical products. There are also new global trade dynamics that could see massive shifts in supply chains and production hubs. Jamaica must not stand by the wayside of history, once again watching the vehicles of opportunity and prosperity pass us by. Now, very, very important. Very, very important. Yes? We missed it in the 70s. We made some bad decisions economically. We have another opportunity here. We must not make the same mistakes. Yeah? Holness went on to say, for varying reasons, Jamaica missed out on major developments during the first and second industrial revolution. Again, Jamaica missed out on this era of global development. Though it could be argued that during this period, Jamaica saw significant investments in bauxite, tourism, agriculture, and infrastructure that would see us having great prospects similar to that of Singapore had we stayed the course coming out of the creditable economic base of the 60s and 50s and had we kept our focus on our economic independence. The departure from course during this period of industrialization and industrial development was not due to external forces. It was due to the misadventure of the PNP, which diverted us from the path of economic growth, selling the people of Jamaica false hope and unrealistic dreams for which the country is still paying today. Those countries that were not distracted from the path of economic development and maintained a steady and balanced course managed to align their education systems and their economies to take advantage of the opportunities of industrialization, even if they were lagging behind at the time of the third industrial revolution. So countries like Singapore and South Korea who were both very poor, indeed South Korea was much poorer than Jamaica. At the time of the third industrial revolution, they were just industrializing on the second wave of industrialization, but they stayed the course. Instead, we had a flirtation with ideologies that were foreign to us and did not serve us well. And there's a very important point is that had we stayed the course with all the social problems that needed to be addressed, had we stayed the economic course and ensure that our economy was aligned to the opportunities that were created by the industrial transformations that were taking place, Jamaica would be a better place today. I agree with him. Despite all the social problems that Manly sought to address, he saw them as imperatives to be addressed. Where Michael didn't get it right, was balancing, ensuring that we grew, grew the productive capacity of the country so that we could 
properly educate our people, properly take care of them in terms of public health, take care of the infrastructure of the country, educate our people well. That was where the balance went askew, where Michael was concerned. He didn't get that right. But to try to denigrate him, I part company because he was a product of his time, his space, his environment, his ecosystem. Yes, leadership demanded that he get it right because 20, 30 years later, that's how he's going to be assessed. Yeah? Wholeness in 2021, 2020, has the benefit of 30 years, 40 years of hindsight. He has the luxury of hindsight. Michael didn't have that then. But it is to wholeness and his time and his leadership that he better damn well learn from the mistakes of the past so we don't repeat those mistakes. And therein lies what I call the essence of that speech last week by the Jamaican Prime Minister that we should learn as a people from. We've been independent for 60 years now. We would have learned a few things over the past six decades. The notion of the supremacy of ideology over the forces and factors of production does not work. Does not work. Michael Manley himself realized this after he was defeated in 1980 and he plotted his way back to Jamaica House. He ditched the far left agenda. He ditched symbolically the Kariba and Bush jacket and went back to his jacket and tie. Some of his own on the left derided him, saying that he never really left his upper middle class elite socially and politically, that he merely flirted with democratic socialism while continued to hold on to his very elite upper middle class origins. I leave that for you to assess whether that is fair or not. But what is unmistakable, which is not up for debate, Michael Manley, after the defeat, the agony of defeat in 1980, set out to reassess what he did, what the PNP in power did, 
where we were in the world at the time, the Cold War, that was very, very strong at the turn of the 1970s. That was virtually settled. Brian Mulroney had come to power, the conservative leader in Canada. Margaret Thatcher, the conservative leader in the United Kingdom, had come to power in May 1979. Ronald Reagan, America's greatest leader, conservative leader, had defeated Michael's friend, Jimmy Carter, in the U.S. presidential elections of 1980. Gorbachev and his perestroika reformist agenda in what was then the collapsing Soviet Union had come to power. The Cold War between capitalism and communism had virtually come to an end. It was settled. It was now the reign of neoliberal political economies. The Berlin Wall had come down. Michael, as a public intellectual and as a thinker, realized what was happening in his world. And he decided to change gear, change strategy, tactics. So he made his road to Damascus, a.k.a. to the White House to meet with then-President George Herbert Walker Bush in the late 1980s, 1988, to make peace with the Americans whose Central Intelligence Agency yeah, fought him in the run-up to October 30, 1980, assisted Edward Siaga's Labour Party to win those elections, created all kinds of problems, on top of those that were created by Manley's own failed economic policies of the 1970s, including that ridiculous statement of his that were cheered then by people like myself. There are five flights a day to Miami. You're free to go. Those are the kinds of irrational thoughts and messages we descend into in the heat of political battle that we live to regret. Michael was not immune to that, nor those of us who were with him. Now we have the luxury of hindsight. And if we are to be faithful to the truth, to history, and most importantly, to the future of our country, we must be honest. Michael was honest to say, I was wrong. This is how he admitted it in one of many interviews. Oh, no question. And, that, you know, of course one takes one's own share of blame for that. I think that there was a tendency to assume a greater level one of political comprehension that can distinguish between a democratic socialist and social democracy and a communist sense that they're totally different things. I think that I overestimated the level of political awareness and consciousness, and therefore 
often if one in hindsight had maybe phrased things differently it would not have fed into the whole reverberating confusion of the time you know i wish i had it to do all over because i think i'd do some things better how would you have done it better um well i tell you if i knew what i now know about the limits to the capacity of the state to just take on things you know you see i think that if i had maybe come out of a different background not a trade unionist background but a long background in politics or business or something I'd have understood better how business people think and how the middle class think would have had a more realistic sense of the limits to the social goodwill <laughs> of certain groups you know that have never faced those issues that one might have approached in a quieter more patient kind of way Michael Manley you know two other points before I go to the break In November last year, November 29, 2019, one of our finest sons, who was at one time an advisor to Michael Manley, he's now professor of sociology at Harvard University. He said at Mona at the launch of one of his latest books, Orlando Patterson said, Quote, Our failures were largely self-inflicted. We tried to move too far, too fast. Our problem was not primarily a lack of funds. Our problem was an inability to follow through with the numerous projects we instituted. He's speaking of the PNP administration of the 70s. Some of them half-baked, nearly all lacking in capable leadership. the paradox and tragedy of radical change at least in the caribbean is that you can't run a revolution without people to manage it but a revolution is exactly what is guaranteed to send the managers fleeing especially when it was a virtual mark of status among the jamaican bourgeoisie to have a home and bank account in not so distant america However, says Patterson, Professor Orlando Patterson, then in the 70s an advisor to Michael Manley. However, the movement's biggest problem may well have been Manley himself, the charismatic leader par excellence. It was a sight to behold him, holding a crowd in spellbound rapture and adulation. And yet, he could be quite distant in personal interactions unless he was making an effort to charm you to his point of view he loved the people he was really at ease with ordinary people he was at heart an intellectual my most animated discussions with him were about ideas rather than the details of the policies i was involved with his public life was one of utmost propriety honesty and integrity and unlike nearly every third world leader of his day and now he left office with less money than he entered in fact nearly broke but his private life was one of ruthless selfishness and sexual corruption with the exception of two of his five wives the beautiful one who died young in his arms 
Barbara that was, the other older one in whose arms he died, that was Glynn, he broke the heart of nearly every one of the many wives and lovers who succumbed to his irresistible charms. And that, alas, was equally true of his daughters. Professor of Sociology at Harvard, former advisor to the late Michael Manley, Orlando Patterson. I make one final comment this morning. To the leadership and activists of the People's National Party who have sought to profess outrage over Holness's comments. Once again, you are at risk of allowing yourself to be outflanked by this post-independence-born Prime Minister and leader of the Labour Party. If I may dare say, your response would have been rejected by Michael Manley. He would have taken on wholeness and challenged him intellectually on the issues that are confronting Jamaica in this global space today. He would have engaged wholeness as to how not missing out on the fourth industrial revolution, making the best of our opportunities, how will he ensure that the mission, the permanent mission of economic independence and social justice are achieved. Michael would be engaging him this morning, challenging him to a public debate. That would have been Michael Manley's response. But sadly, his party today is devoid of the intellectual acuity to so respond. You all need to go read and learn from Michael Norman Manley. Time for the break. My hands were steady, my eyes were clear and bright. Cliff Hughes Online, talk radio for all Jamaicans. My hands were steady, my eyes were clear and bright. My walk had purpose, my steps were quick and light. And I held firm to what I felt was right, like a rock. I was strong as I could be Like a rock Nothing ever got to me Like a rock I was something to see Like a rock And I stood arrow straight Unencumbered by the weight Of all these hustlers and their schemes All right. 